This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. have a 2-1-1. Lafreniere centers it. Zavadajad shoots and Markstrom! Smalls did it the same and now they score! Alexi Lafreniere delivers the knockout punch in what was a slugfest at Madison Square Garden in New York City. A back and forth battle. The Rangers had 1-0, 2-1, and 3-2 leads. The Flames took a 4-3 lead. The Rangers tied it, forced overtime, and the first overall pick, Alexi Lafreniere, ends the game in overtime. The Flames get a point, the Rangers get two, and a 5-4 win. Might not have been the result that Flames fans were hoping for, but you certainly got your money's worth last night. A potential game of the year candidate ends with Alexei Lafreniere's OT winner. Rangers 5, Flames 4 as the Flames kick off their post-All-Star break schedule with a loss but an overtime point at MSG. Welcome to Sportsnet Today here on Sportsnet 960. The fans, Logan Gordon here with you. Cam and Taylor, outstanding production team in the other room. We're coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios and lots to get to on today's program. Lots of reaction from last night at Madison Square Garden. We'll talk about the Jacob Truba hit train that was last night, the Flames' response to it, how they came out of the gate post-All-Star break. Of course, we'll check in with Peter Labardius in just moments here, the color voice of the Calgary Flames, and break down last night. Tuesdays, of course, also mean our check-in with Bick Nazar from Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver. You're probably busy watching the Flames and the Rangers last night. But if you weren't, there was another entertaining game in the New York area. It also ends 5-4 in overtime between the Canucks and the New Jersey Devils. So we'll check in with Bick on a Tuesday. And uh, as the CFL's free agency negotiation window has officially opened, Calgary Stampeders head coach and general manager Dave Dickinson hailed a media availability at McMahon Stadium a little bit earlier on today. Our own Matt Rose was there. We'll hear from the uh, GM and head coach on some of their still pending UFAs and some of the things that the Stampeders are hoping to get accomplished on uh, February 14th when CFL Free Agency officially opens. Quick reminder, the fan feedback line always open to you here on Sportsnet today. You can text the show anytime at 960-960. Let's kick things off. Going down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon, welcoming in the color voice 
of the Calgary Flames. He joins us every single day to kick off the program. He is Peter Labardius, and he is brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. The Gemini Group knows your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. Now offering air miles, reward miles. Visit them at thegeminigroup.ca. Good afternoon, Peter. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Uh, Game of the year candidate last night for you? Oh, how could it not be? That game last night is what I miss about the sport because it's a bit of a unicorn. And when you grow up in the time that I grew up, that was a regular Monday or Tuesday night, depending on the level and including the National Hockey League. It had physicality. It had altercation. It had passion. It had terrific skill. It had lead changes. I don't think anybody's turning that game off. And to listen to other people in other markets refer to it that way, then I know for sure what I saw was very unique to the time. And I think unless you grew up in the time, and we all appreciate sports for all kinds of different reasons, but Logan, I can only speak for myself and probably for people who grew up in a different generation. I love today's skill and I appreciate it greatly and watch the game, as you know, at all kinds of levels where that skill is on display. But I will tell you the only thing I miss about the sport at times in comparison is passion because when you add great passion to great skill you have something special and so wasn't surprised by how the game made people feel and I know that I have friends including really good friends who love sports and like hockey but in the last 10 or 12 years they're not as invested Because for them, and I'm not saying this is me, I mean, I don't really have a choice. I guess you always have a choice, but I work in the business. Um, That's why they're not as invested, because nights like last night do not come around very often anymore. Yeah, and it was, uh, like you said, it had everything that you could have wanted. There was passion, emotion, there was skill on display. There was a great crowd, as there always is, in one of you know hockey's greatest halls in, in Madison Square Garden. And despite the loss, Lou, uh, head coach Daryl Sutter speaking post-game, was pretty happy with the overall effort from his group and the resilience that they had coming back a couple times. Here's what Daryl had to say post-game. Yeah, exciting game, fun game. Thought we were, what's the word, valiant, come back. And then they tie it with, I think it hit backs actually, in front of the net there to tie it up. So I thought we played really well. Yeah, I needless to say, I don't disagree. And the big talking point for me coming out of the game, and I don't know how it's going to work. Um, I'd need a crystal ball and to be Kraskin to deliver that type of an answer. But I do know that my experience in a lot of different situations, whether it be in sports or outside of sports, but with sporting teams in particular, 
this team to me, for whatever reason, and I don't have all the answers and I don't have all the know-how and, but I might have more know-how than others. And this group all season long, Logan has felt a little fractured. And I think there are lots of reasons for it. Um, and, and thus, I think that has contributed in part to the inconsistency that the group has played with. There's been a lot of different parts. Um, you know, there's been a lot of key acquisitions. There have been lots of players who have not been able to so-called live up to ex- expectations or a previous season. But games like last night, in my history around sports, has the ability to galvanize a group and bring a group together. And whether you're a fan, and I will say this, even for me, I'm not always the biggest fan of the fact that when someone is leveled with a clean hit, that it requires that type of response or an altercation. But it is the way of today. I've heard a couple of coaches asked recently, including Bruce Cassidy, on a podcast or on Sirius XM one day that I was listening, and I wasn't sure what his answer was going to be. And, you know, he seemed to be okay with it, even though it's different now than the way it used to be. So as a group, the Flames stood up for one another. They were completely okay to engage. Um, whether you're Dylan Dubé, um, you know, the scrum that ensued after the hit from Blay on Lucic, they were a very together group and played with a lot of emotion and passion. And I think it helped drag them back into the game from deficits three different times. So I don't know how the rest of the year is going to go. Um, this game... We could talk about it if you want to dissect it, because there's a million different parts. This isn't a general question type of game, but um, the big one for me and the big talking point for me is how they stood up from one another, how they responded, and it has the ability, I'm not saying it will, to potentially be a game and a moment in a season that brings or galvanizes a group closer together. Yeah, I think it's a good place to go, and it's somewhere that uh, Mackenzie Weger went post-game in his uh, media availability last night, Lou, and he talked about, yeah, we wanted to pick up the two points, and that's obviously so important, but he really liked the character and makeup of the group last night when it came to some of those moments. Here's what Mackenzie Weger had to say about that aspect of it post-game. Yeah, I thought, um, you know, we showed a lot of good character out there. Um, you know, we, we showed that, you know, we love each other, we care for each other, and uh, a lot of guys stepping in and stepping up, and, um, you know, that was probably the positive of tonight, but um, we would have liked to, have, you know, maybe got the two points, you know, when we had them at 4-3. Well, teams still win games and teams who play for one another and are accountable to one another 
win games and, in my belief, end up winning championships. And without that, and not everybody's going to love one another and not everybody's going to see it the same way in any company, any group, any relationship. But your ability to grow from it and truly dig in for one another and make one another accountable and demand more of one another in a dressing room is how you get to really, really good places. And so uh, that may end up being made with a big capital M-A-Y, may end up being the best loss that this team could have suffered all season. Yeah, and I don't, I don't want to say there wasn't enough of that during you know other parts of the season, but it it has been something that at times it it feels like has been missing from this group, and it's it's so hard to say because there's you know there's new people here and there's a ton of time to get acclimated and all that sort of stuff, but it, it does feel like this could be a moment that we haven't seen a lot this year from the Flames that could do them a lot of good. Well, I mean, I've just laid that out the best that yeah. I can, my friend. 100%. So I, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't really have anything to, to add on that front. It's exactly how I feel. I don't know for sure. And I, I don't even really judge the rest of the year that way. And even if you want to talk about, you know, previous years with this team, well, again, I judge every situation, probably every person, starting with myself, on how you deal when it's hard. There wasn't a lot of hard last year until the series with the Edmonton Oilers. Then it got hard. Then it got really hard in a hurry. So how do you deal with those situations, and how do you grow from that kind of experience? And there are a lot of different people. And I don't think their Calgary experience, to be honest, has been very good so far. Take that wherever you want to go. And I'm talking about the listeners. It has been an uphill struggle, and it has been filled with lots of difficult times and a lot of outside noise and a lot of feeling, I'm sure, like you're failing Mm -hmm. as a group. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to make the playoffs? And are you going to be a more resilient, harder team to deal with in the playoffs? Because until you are battle-tested in that way for me, you have accomplished very little. I don't care if you win your division. I really don't. I don't care if you have the top record in the league. If it does not translate to playoff growth and playoff success, you have not taken another step. Not for me. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you while I had you your thoughts when Chris Tanev uh, decides to drop the gloves last night with Jacob Truba. Uh, Obviously, that's a a veteran guy standing up for his teammate. We've talked lots about that today, but – I know more than you know myself, and I'm sure you were probably thinking, "Who? That's a that's a risky one." Just coming back off an upper body injury, and he did you know go to the locker room for a bit following that. What was going through your mind at that point in time? 
Well, I didn't want him to get hurt. That was the first thing that was going through my mind right off the bat. Um, I didn't like how that whole situation was called. I have no trouble saying that. And I truly do not believe Chris went over there with any intention to fight. His gloves did not get dropped first. Jacob Truba's did. He went over to say, listen, you can't do that. That's not acceptable. We're not okay with that, which is exactly what I would want every player to feel like and do in that situation. I don't think Chris had any intention of fighting until it got to the point where, what do you do? I really believe that, and I've watched that episode. I've probably watched it even before I left the rink eight times. So, yeah, my first one was, oh, no, not him. But that's who he is. That's why he is a great teammate. And that is why he, as I have said on record many times, one of the most selfless players I have ever watched on a day-to-day basis in my time around the sport. He does what has to be done. And if everybody on your team played, reacted, went through things like Chris, you'd have a championship team. No doubt about that in my mind. So that's exactly where my head was when it happened and following. Well, and I wondered so much too when that happened. Obviously, I was worried like you were about the injury, but as the night progressed, I wondered how much Chris going and doing that, even if he, like you're right, I think he wasn't intending to fight Jacob in that, but when the other guy drops the gloves and starts throwing fists, you you got to react, and he did react. Um, I, I wondered how much that set the tone for the rest of the team. You know what I mean? We we see it when he's not out there, Lou, what kind of impact he has when he's not on the ice. But I just think that guy in that situation going there and setting the tone for his team and saying, no, we're not, we're not in that business tonight. We're not... You're going to take a run at my guy. You're going to have to, I'm going to either tell you or we're going to have something to say about it one way or the other. I kind of felt like they followed his lead last night in a couple other situations and another one that happened to involve that same guy later on in the game. Yes, they did. The only thing I'd like to have seen different, even if it might have cost somebody the game last night, is I would have liked to have seen another player on the ice even jump in potentially as a third guy. That's the only thing I'd like to see different. But that's that's a stretch. Understanding his situation and his health. Mm. But I'd have to re-watch it again and see where, you know, that's the thing. When you are not in the arena, and I'm not trying to make a big deal about that. I'm, I'm long past that. No, I, I understand. Okay, but when you're not in the rink and you're not looking from above, you don't get to see those things. You don't. I don't. I don't even really can't recall right off the top of my head who else outside of maybe one other player was out there at the time. I mean, I know one guy who was out there at the time because he got his block knocked off. Yeah. To begin with, and that was Dylan. So yeah. I know he was out there. So, no, they did respond. And in any aspect of life, emotional response 
will dictate pretty much everything in everything, good or bad. It's what you do with it that is the great determining factor. And like I said, I can't speak about it any more so out of using, other than using one word, galvanize. And of course, it's a guy like Chris Tanev who starts the whole thing. Yeah. Because guess what? You think he was thinking about himself when he was, he probably was in part, but it sure as heck didn't stop him from going there in the first place, did it? No, no, not at all. That's selfless. Yeah. That's where you show people your fallen teammate matters even more than your own health. Yeah. That's my definition of a good teammate and a great leader. Uh, from a, you know more of a game perspective, I think yeah, as we heard from the head coach a little earlier, you're probably pretty happy with you know what happened for the most part. As as Daryl said later on in that media veil, Lou, there wasn't a, a lot of mistakes. There was a couple that you know you would have liked back. I, I know Nazem Kadri would have liked to have more on on Heedle's second goal that happens. But for the most part, I thought coming out of the All Star break didn't look like a lot of rust from the Flames group. Well, I think there was a lot of rust overall in the game. Yes. Um, and, and frankly, I, I don't know if I'm completely on board with, like, it was, it, was, it was a great hockey game, and it would be hard not to come out of that hockey game. Like, it'd be interesting to talk to the staff today in terms of mistakes. Um, and there were a few players. I'm not, you know, we don't need to mention all of them. But there were a couple of players that had some rough nights, um, and that and that was to be expected. But no, I, I like by and large how the group played and how they handled it. And Daryl's adjective about being valiant was very true and a good one. So that's a heck of a hockey game. I'd love to see thirty-one more of them. I know I'm not. May not <laughs> see another one the rest of the year. But including when they meet again on February 18th at Scotiabank Saddledome. Yeah. And thank you to those two teams for ensuring a big crowd that night. <laughs> yeah. Because that's what they did, because nobody turns those games off. Sorry. No. And in 11 days on a Saturday night in Calgary, you know, there'll be some. Some juice in the building for uh, a rematch, thinking of what happened last night at Madison Square Garden, Lou. Before I let you go today, uh, away from the Flames, I wanted to ask you about uh, a former Lethbridge Hurricane who received a uh, big contract extension today from the Buffalo Sabres. Dylan Cousins has signed a seven-year extension, $49.7 million for the 21-year-old, having a career year with Buffalo, Lou, 43 points, 17 goals and 26 assists. When I say the name Dylan Cousins, what comes to mind for you? Well, what comes to mind for me is my first viewings of him as a 15-year-old member of the Lethbridge Hurricanes. And even in the playoffs that year, which I think off the top of my head would have been either 2017 or 2018. And um, it reminded me a little bit of what I saw Braden Point do 
in his 15-year-old season with the Moose Jaw Warriors, um, I knew this guy had a chance to be really special because when when you can come into that situation in the Western Hockey League playoffs and be a noticeable and good player, that's just something I don't see very often. And so to watch his journey, um, two world juniors, two excellent performances in both of those, uh, what he continues to do and grow into at the NHL level, I'm delighted for him. And, you know, he's certainly a role model in that part of our country. We've got another great one from there coming, and Gavin McKenna, the Medicine Hat Tigers, and of uh, Southern Alberta Hockey Academy. So fantastic and, and delighted. Had a chance to uh, meet his mom briefly this year. Uh, who was watching their younger son at the Circle K Classic. Different player, but a fun player to watch. So that's what comes to mind for me. Lou, have yourself a great afternoon, pal. We'll uh, get ready for the Flames in Detroit coming up a little bit later on this week. Uh, take it easy, pal. Sounds good. You too. Pete Labardi is joining us, the color voice of the Calgary Flames here on Sportsnet 960. He uh, kicks off every edition of Sportsnet today with us, and he is brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. The Gemini Group knows your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. Now offering air miles, reward miles. You can visit them at thegeminigroup.ca. It's a Tuesday, and we'll have our regular check-in with Sportsnet 650's Big Nazar. That's coming up next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Welcome back to Sportsnet Today here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. It's Logan Gordon along with you. Rolling on here on hour one. And it is a Tuesday, which means we go down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline. Say hello to our pal from Sportsnet 650. It is Bick Nazar joining us down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline and uh Bick we weren't the only ones here in Calgary who watched a, a pretty entertaining 5-4 overtime game in the New York area the Canucks and Devils with a pretty good one last night how are you doing pal uh doing good I don't think nearly as entertaining we kind of had the Calgary game on like a side tv and it was hard not to kind of glance over every once in a while <laughs> to look at like that's that's a fun game what was happening to New Jersey not nearly as exciting but uh man that was phenomenal to kind of watch out of the side of my eye yeah it was uh it was a lot of fun last night I think anybody who's got it in the uh game of the year category is uh is doing something right it had just a little bit of everything I will say I did watch uh two portions of the Vancouver uh New Jersey game last night I did however catch the 52nd uh scrum in the second where Palat scored two, and then Jack Hughes scored another one. I thought, okay, well, uh, it was it was fun. I, I caught up, and I got the game story, and then all of a sudden, next thing I know, I'm watching overtime between these two teams, and Jesper Broad eventually ends it. But, you know, I, I guess in a season where you're you're trying to scrape for positives, a game like last night where the Canucks are without Bohr Horvat for the first time, go into a tough New Jersey team, and are able to at least scrape out a point, I assume you're looking at it a glass half full way today if you're a Vancouver fan. Well, I'm a glass half full person anyway, so I am kind of looking at it. And we're we're trying to evaluate these last 33 games as what principles is Rick Tockett going to uh, be able to instill into this group. And I think last night, even though it was rather high event and there's five goals against, obviously, 
and then, then the power play or the PK you know, doesn't convert in overtime. There are structural plays that you're looking at where they, they just look more disciplined. And I, I mean, positionally, there were still issues handling the puck and Tyler Myers had a turnover, Riley Stillman had a turnover in their own zone. And that led to uh, goals. That stuff is player attributes. And I don't know if Rick Tockett's going to be able to really fix a lot of that. You can kind of get a little bit from players, but you're looking for glimpses. And last night was kind of the first chance to really see, okay, here's a couple of things. It seems like they want to do better in their own zone. Even Elias Pedersen was talking about how defensively they just need more rules and, and more understanding of where guys are going to be and who's supposed to rotate and whatnot. And you're kind of seeing glimpses of that, even though it's clunky and it still ends up being a five, four game that for, for me, more than anything, that's what I'm looking for here. These remaining 32 games. You mentioned it a bit there. I, I know there's been an all-star break in between here and you haven't had a, a ton of time, but have you noticed some of the, the Rick Tockett influence starting to come into this team? Have you noticed uh, a few different things that he's trying to do with the team? Not overwhelmingly, because look, he's only had a handful of games here, right? It's not exactly going to be sweeping changes. And because of the break too, A, a because of where they are in the season, and two, because of the break and you know, motivation can kind of wear off off of nine days away from the team. But, like, they're not in a stage of the season where they're going to get the new coach bump. And then the break kind of slows that down or trying to make that nice first impression. And, honestly, the first impression probably went up by the wayside after that Seattle game where he called the team soft. And that was uh, just over two weeks ago tomorrow. So, as far as, like, overlying principles – it hasn't really come to fruition, probably not enough practice time. And something Rick Tockett has lamented a ton of not being able to have enough practice time. I think he already counted out how many practices they're going to have in February. And I think it's way less than he wants because I think he wants close to like double digits to start getting his, his kind of systems in. But it's, it's, very, it's, it's very small steps that we're trying to look for, just where guys trying to vacate space. And that's the sort of stuff that defensively they – were very permissive uh, under Bruce Boudreau, and they roamed a lot. And, and that's the sort of stuff that I think you're, you're going to try to see if they can kind of clean some of that up and maybe a bit more team defense rather than individual defense, which is, you know, under, under Bruce, it was very, hey, if you can go make a play, go make a play. Whatever happens to the four of the guys next to you, uh, there's elements of it wasn't as clean as it could be. And I think we're starting to see some of that get cleared up. Uh, it was game one without Bo Horvat yesterday. Who in the lineup is going to see the biggest bump in terms of responsibility now that Bo's in New York? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, we were kind of banning about that yesterday, and then and you, you look at it, it's weird to say someone like JT Miller because he already gets a lion's share of responsibility, but you know he was the f- first guy out on many PKs, played two minutes and 30 seconds or two minutes and 25, something like that, uh, on the PK was there for the five on three as well, taking draws. And he finished 55% last night, uh, 11 and nine uh, in the draw. So that's someone I'm looking at and saying, the big concern for a lot of fans was who's going to take face-offs now that Bo Horvath's gone. It's a short-term problem to worry about rather than the big picture of crafting a real qualified competitive team. But right now it looks like JT is going to be taking the line share as he took 20 face-offs last night. Um, that's the person I'm looking at probably uh, to fulfill most of the role. You're probably going to do it by aggregate and say, okay, well, JP can take a few more PK face-offs. Who's going to fill in the bumper? It's 
Beauvillier last night, and JT Miller was actually net front off of the half wall. So Beauvillier gets a chance on that uh, bumper spot where Horvat was, and it's 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 not going to look as clean. But overall, like they they did struggle in the faceoff dot. Uh, JT Miller and Nils Oman were the only one that took faceoffs, but Oman only took five. Um, they 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 have to prove in areas that Horvat really excelled at, and faceoffs is one. Uh, just checking in on the game sheet last night, it was uh, 1758 for Anthony Bavillier in his Canucks debut, a minute and a half of that on the power play. I'm not going to get you to, to dissect uh, too much, you know, his first outing mm-hmm. in Vancouver Colors, but I guess just your initial reaction to, you know, where he's going to be slotted on this team and sort of what Canucks fans are hoping for out of him. Hoping for is, I, I think even some Canucks fans would say, hey, if you can repair your kind of value across the league and if it turns into an asset, I think there's some Canucks fans that would say, hey, look, this is a rebuild. This is a guy who's got one year left. If this turns into an asset, that's a big win for the team. As far as what happened last night, the thing that stands out immediately is you can see a little bit more pace in his game than someone like Connor Garland and certainly like someone like Brock Besser. And this is a team that's right now just trying to find player traits. Whoever they acquire, does this player have something that we can value that fits our style? And even just kind of build a profile of how they want to play hockey. And you, you look at this and they say, who are the wingers that they've gone and invested in and recruited? Brock Besser was an incumbent player, so they had to sign that contract in the summer. But they go and bring in Andre Kuzmenko. They go and bring in Ilya Mikheyev. Now Anthony Beauvillier shows up. And you kind of look at a common denominator between the three, speed. There is a little bit of quickness to Beauvillier's game. Showcased it last night, kind of separating from Andre Polat through the neutral zone and across the blue line getting a nice pass over to Elias Pedersen that didn't get a chance to convert. Puck kind of skipped over, but that's the sort of stuff you can see just a little bit of quickness that isn't really there in someone like Brock Besser's game. He's got qualities elsewhere, but if this team trying to model it under Pittsburgh and under Carolina, under Jim Rutherford, their wingers, you know, traditionally quite fast, and you see a little bit more spark from Bovillier. I thought he, he acquitted himself well last night. Again, he said uh, 17 minutes and change. Um, I, I thought he, for a guy who's just getting placed in, not a lot of practice time, obviously, and just trying to familiarize yourself with new teammates and everything like that, I, I thought he showcased pretty well. It's an unfortunate dash two next to his name alongside Elias Pedersen, but I think that line was probably the Canucks' best line last night because Manko obviously gets the goal, uh, but Bovillier kind of factored in that, kind of drawing away Brendan Smith. It, it was an encouraging start for a player in a new spot, and go figure, hey, playing next to... Um, Elias Pedersen, you can look pretty sharp. Yeah, it seems like a pretty uh, common denominator whenever somebody is on that line. Um, Bick, uh, we talked last week uh, at nauseum, obviously, about the trade that sends Bo Horvat to the island. But now, uh, since the last time we've talked, we've got contract details. And we heard uh, the quote that's been thrown around by Lou Lamorello. It's too much money and it's for too long. And that's, you know, caught a lot of people because that's, you know, it's a very Lou Lamorello thing to say. But I guess... What was the Vancouver reaction to the Islanders and Bo Horvat coming to that eight-year deal? You know, like we've talked about, I think the the fan base is kind of split. There's some people that said, look, it's time for Horvat to go. The trade has to happen. And so this is just a doubling down on that opinion. I'm kind of in that camp myself to say I never thought he was going to be worth that much money. Congratulations to getting him. That's fantastic. If, if someone's willing to give you the money, 
go sign on the dotted line and $68 million is an amazing outcome. But uh, if you're trying to build a winner, you know, for me, the the style of player was never really, I thought, what centers are, are succeeding and winning Stanley Cups at. He's a goal-scoring center, not necessarily a playmaker. Okay, defensively, I would lean towards below average, but obviously wins face-off. And if you're in the camp that said, hey, they should have traded them, don't sign them. This is an outcome you look at and say, that might be trouble for the New York Islanders. I think there's other people that said, hey, Bo Horvath should have been a career captain uh, for the Vancouver Canucks. And so you look at that and say, if you ponied up the money, he would have stayed and signed. And it probably wouldn't have been $68 million if you would have got to 63, $60 million, right? If it crests that JT Miller number, does that say you're our guy? And I think a lot of fans would have looked at that and said, that's what should have happened never should have went down the road of giving Brock Besser the money and JT Miller the money and Bo Horvath should still be here. So for me, it's been a bit of a split and it just comes back to what do you think the Canucks should have done basically going back to the summer. We're chatting with Bick Nazar, our Tuesday regular here on Sportsnet today. He joins us from our sister station, Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver. Of course, uh, chatting all things Vancouver Canucks. Canucks fall 5-4 in overtime last night to the New Jersey Devils in their first game. Sands, Bo Horvat, and uh, Bick, a couple things that we always talk about too. I always love to check in NFL-wise with you, and we're a couple days out from the Super Bowl uh, on the weekend. we got the Chiefs and the Eagles. Where's your uh, excitement level at? I know we're still a couple days out, but are you starting to, to feel some of the excitement around this one yet? Once you start seeing the Super Bowl commercials, so like the previews, yeah. you're like, all right. That's that's when it starts getting real, right? Like yeah. media day is not important. I know media day was last night. It's just it's just chaos. Like some of the questions Nick Sirianni was asked are just so fifty six minutes. And they had Sirianni at the podium yesterday. I'm like, are you guys? Too much. That's way too much time to be asking this guy questions. Yeah, like like the epic Jim Rutherford press conference, which was a real serious issue, was forty six minutes. I think. Yeah, Nick Sirianni just taking low-hanging fruit questions and just nonsensical questions uh, for an hour is, is not even remotely necessary. Uh, but the whole hoopla of media day, I feel like it's gone too far now. It used to be fun. Like, I think it peaked at the Marshawn Lynch era. And after that, it's just been, how can we create viral clips now? And it just, it, it's, it's becoming too much. Uh, but I'm hyped, man. Super Bowl is, it's like second Christmas. It's, it's six weeks after uh, I, I can't wait. I can't wait. I, I honestly, I'm tossing and turning of who to pick uh, to win the game. I one morning I'll say, oh yeah, it's definitely gonna be Kansas City. And today I woke up thinking, I don't know, Philly's pretty stout. Uh, I, I don't really, I, I don't know if I've landed on a on a spot where I feel comfortable just yet. Yeah, and it's so interesting. And I keep hearing, you know, is this the you know the team that can dethrone the Chiefs? And I, I think the Eagles have every possibility of, but I think one of the storylines I like talking about heading into this one was it wasn't all that long ago that the Eagles went and won their own Super Bowl kind of at the beginning of all of this for Kansas City. That's when the Mahomes era sort of mm-hmm. started there, and it's been a pretty quick turnaround for a group that's really not the same as they were in 2017 when they won. It's a new quarterback. It's a new coach. Everything here for Philly to be in this point, not all that long after winning a Super Bowl, is pretty remarkable. Have a plan, stick to it. Like one of my favorite phrases when we're talking about in sports is, uh, "Let the plan fail you, don't fail the plan." And they followed through in what they were going to do and transition from Carson Wentz to Nick Foles to Jalen Hurst to where they are now. 
And I like the way they've built their team, refreshing it just after a few years here, getting back to this stage is so impressive. And that's what you need, like organizational buy-in and everyone's on the same page. You know, for for decade and a plus, we looked at the New England Patriots as being kind of the model franchise. It's constantly refreshing. You think of all the iterations that they went through, you know, defense and then uh, high-profile passing, and then a rushing game and a couple of tight ends thrown in there. They, they constantly evolved. Uh, I think the Philadelphia Eagles are kind of that new standard. Maybe not just yet. Uh, another championship will kind of solidify it, but they're kind of getting to that reputation of, they know how to evolve with the league, and that's what's so impressive. It's not just one philosophy, doubling down on yourself and hoping it, it, it pays off. It's adapting, and to show that level of flexibility in modern professional sports is so impressive, and, and, and it deserves to be heralded. Uh, a couple more NFL things I wanted to get with you today. Uh, obviously, the Tom Brady retirement one is an interesting one around the league. Uh, were you surprised to see Brady hang it up and to so quickly this offseason come to that decision? I know lots, I mean, lots of people will mock it because he retired last year and, and still came back. I was surprised how quickly this offseason he came to, to that decision, but where did you come down on that? I'm a little surprised. Uh, like Physically, like he threw the most passes this year. There's still zip on it. I think he, if you land him in the right team, I 100% believe he could win a championship. But at the same time, if, if there was moments this season, especially in the last playoff game, where it didn't look like he wanted to get hit. And if you're a quarterback, if, if you don't want to get hit, then all the other stuff that you're good at suddenly doesn't matter as much. It's a fundamental requirement to be willing to stay in that pocket, exhaust, especially the way Brady plays too, exhaust the play to its full completion and then find who you're going to. And he processes faster than everyone too. But if, if you're not willing to take contact, then all the stuff that you're great at just falls by the wayside. And that's the thing I look at. And, you know, physically, can he play till he's 47, maybe even 48? I think he could, but it's the the willingness to absorb contact. I think that's the thing that I, that really stood out to me in the tail end of the season, where it just it just didn't feel like he wanted to get hit as often. I I don't know what it feels like to get up from pain as a forty five year old quarterback, <laughs> but it's, it it just didn't look like the, the Tom Brady at times that constantly stayed hanging in the pocket, where there was times he kind of bailed out early and and was willing to take sacks and just kind of crumple down and take a little hand touch just to say. Hey, yeah, we'll move on to the next down here. Denver desperately needed uh, a new head coach. Nathaniel Hackett was a disaster at every step of the way. But to pay up a, a first this year and a second next year for Sean Payton, does that process work for you? Are you okay if you're watching this from a Denver perspective, giving up everything you gave up for Russell Wilson and now having to give up this much to bring in Sean Payton? Is this the right move for Denver when you look at it, Bick? Yeah, I think so. Uh, if you if you're getting qualified, bona fide head coaching in the NFL, that's worth a first round pick, 100. percent Sean Payton's got a long runway of success, obviously in New Orleans, very empowered by that entire organization to build it the way he wanted to. And look, they need to make Russell Wilson work, or at least they need to find out if if this is a real solution here in Russell Wilson. So go get someone who engineers fantastic offenses and has done it 
for a long time, very highly respected. And it's not even just someone that you're trying to say, okay, this is the new offensive genius and let's, let, let's make a bet on this guy. No, no, there's proof of concept here with Sean Payton. So I'm a big fan of this hire. You, you, you just pay the price. And I'm surprised it was as much as it was, to be honest. I thought New Orleans would maybe be a bit more flexible and say, hey, you're long-tenured, we'll let you go on your way. But if you're Denver, you pay that tax and you say, no matter what, like even if the Russell Wilson thing doesn't work out, we still have a long-term viable coach who's going to be able to recruit people to come, A, not, not only just a staff, but players, and start to build the infrastructure of the Denver Broncos all over again. Because there is a good team there. They should have won a lot more games. If they scored something like 18 points this year in every single game, they would have ended up like 11 wins or something. So get a stud at coach and now start to build out your program uh, as a whole with or without Russell Wilson moving forward. I suspect we'll see a better version of Russell Wilson. It's, it's hard to be as bad as he was this year, but there is so much chaos there. And it just never looked like people were qualified in their roles uh, on the sideline as far as coaching. Uh, and I, I think Sean Payton will bring a certain level of stability for the organization that will last beyond just this season and that draft pick. If it works with Sean Payton, you're, you're looking at a 10, 14 year run as a head coach. So what's one first round pick uh, in 2023 worth for that, le- that level of longevity? Okay, before you go, uh, I need a pick. I need a definitive Bic Nazar uh. prediction for Sunday on this program. On your own show, feel free to change it and hedge your bets. But for next week when we talk, I need something to go back to and determine whether you were right or wrong. Eagles or Chiefs, what say you, Bic Nazar? As of today, I will say Eagles in a very, very close one. I, I'm talking like 28-27, which wouldn't even cover the spread <laughs> if you're betting the Eagles because I think it's one and a half. But I think it's going to be very, very tight. And I, I just worry about cluster injuries and what's happening right now at, at the Chiefs wide receiver position. I know Kadarius Tony is going to play, but he's unreliable at the best of times with his health. I just worry if there's enough offensive weaponry to challenge the Eagles. And that's the thing that I'm getting hung up on. I, I think defensively the Chiefs will be okay, but I just, I just worry about uh, can they produce enough considering there's going to be potentially some new bodies there. All right. I like it. We'll have something to chat about next Tuesday, and I'm sure, uh, as always, the Canucks will come up with uh, some sort of uh, over-the-top drama for us to dive into as well. Bick, uh, always appreciate the time on a Tuesday, man. Have a great week, eh? Take care. Bick Nazar joining us from Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver. All things Canucks. You can hit him up on Twitter at Bick Nazar. And yeah, the Canucks uh, playing in game one without uh, Bo Horvat last night. They suffer a 5-4 OT loss to the New Jersey Devils while Bo Horvat made his Islanders debut. He was scoreless, but they picked up a 2-1 win over the Philadelphia Flyers. That'll do it for hour one. We'll come back on the other side. CFL free agency still a week away, but the negotiation period has opened up for teams to talk to potential free agents, and uh, that made for a good time for Stampeders head coach and general manager Dave Dickinson to address the media ahead of the Stampeders uh, free agency opening up. We'll uh, chat and hear from the Stampeders GM next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.